Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It takes a lot to really shock me. Uh, it just does. I think in 2022, that's probably the same for most of us. There's not many things that people could do. I'm not talking about like horrendous crimes, but even that, like, you know, we, we're so desensitized to so much stuff that it takes a lot to really be shocking. Today, though, I was shocked. And the reason is a story that I read on Global News. Uh, Sam Cooper did this. A Canadian intelligence warned PM Trudeau that China covertly funded 29 election, 2019 election candidates. Let me read you a line from this story. This is from Sam Cooper's piece. Uh, yeah, Sam Cooper's piece. Based on recent information from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, those efforts allegedly involve payments through intermediaries to candidates affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party, placing agents into the offices of MPs in order to influence policy, seeking to co-opt and corrupt former Canadian officials to gain leverage in Ottawa, and mounting aggressive campaigns to punish Canadian politicians whom the People's Republic of China views as threats to its interests. According to this story, the Chinese government paid, funded election campaigns so candidates could get voted into office who were sympathetic to China. They, they, were, they would have been our politicians, uh, presumably working for the betterment of Canada, but really moles for all intents and purposes. Uh, th- this to me was, a, was an outrageous story. And I don't have any reason to doubt Sam. And I'll only say if true, not because I don't believe him, but because it's just so outrageous. If true, that I don't even know what to do with this. Let me bring in Elliot Tepper. He is a emeritus professor of political science with Carleton University, joins us now. Uh, thanks, as always, for the time today. Really appreciate this. Oh, thanks, you, Scott. Good to be with you. Uh, when I, uh, as I said, and you, I don't, I'm assuming you were listening, it doesn't, there, there are not many things that really, really shock me these days. This one did. This to me is just the absolute, we're, we're at levels of, is espionage too strong a word here? Uh, it's an evolving word. We, it goes beyond espionage. We've got a, um, a few terms here in play. One is uh, soft power. That is, all states, including us, try to work abroad to influence the public and the political leadership to take actions favorable to us. We certainly do that. Um, soft power is a, a powerful tool. We certainly had to do that when, when our uh, economy was threatened with you know, the new NAFTA and all that, and we upped our game considerably. But uh, when it goes, and I'm, I'm going to quote here a parallel country that we often look, look to, Australia dealt with this in 2018 in a clearer way, and they, they said, look, when, it, when it's transparent it's normal that's what all states do but when it's coercive and covert and possibly corrupt then you cross a line then you're into an influence operation that's in a different category and it requires a response it's not just that this has said to have happened but i couldn't see anything that suggested that we know a who these people were or b if any of them won elections so Presumably, theoretically, one or more could be serving as an MP right now. Well, it's certainly a possibility, not only, again, with us, but around the world. What we're seeing is, to back up just a, a half a step, Canada is now 
joining other countries. Uh, the U.S. is a bit ahead of us. Australia certainly is. In bringing Xi Jinping's China more into focus, the use of espionage, as you put it earlier, is as old as uh, statecraft, I suppose. But in this case, we have a coordinated, planned um, technique to be used as an agency of the state or the Communist Party in the state to spread Chinese influence abroad and to get the resources at once. The 2015 uh, elevation of Xi Jinping into the central core of Chinese power saw the rise of the United Front within China, that is, the United Front as an agency, a, a centralized agency responsible for carrying on this kind of activity at home and abroad. It's coming more and more into focus, the nature of that regime, the Xi Jinping's regime. And we are now seeing some of the ripple effects of that. It's, uh, it's multi-pronged, uh, Scott. It isn't simply, and I shouldn't diminish, diminish this in any way, trying to influence who gets elected and what they say, what people say if they are elected. It goes beyond that. It goes into much deeper aspects of the society. Uh, what part of this is um, in the same article, you'll see there's coerced repatriations. They not only, uh, the Xi Jinping Communist Party not only wants to influence Canadian politics, they also want to come inside Canada and carry out state policy of returning people that they want to prosecute, and they will use their levels of coercion against Canadian citizens, those who are uh, part of the Chinese diaspora and others, uh, and uh, whether they've got people elected or not, we aren't sure, but we are sure that they are interfering in Canadian internal affairs in ways which go beyond any legal or um, transparent means of trying to do public diplomacy. This isn't public diplomacy. This is a, this is a matter of private state interest to uh, act in ways which go probably into the realm of the illegal. And that takes us to the question of what makes something illegal. And that takes us to where is Canada compared, say, to the U.S. or Australia. Australia in 2018 faced pretty well the same kind of story that we're facing now. They passed a number of acts after that. And Australia, Scott, is far more vulnerable than we are to, the, to China, the People's Republic of China, because a third of everything they sell, as it says in the papers, goes to China, and yet they stood, they stood up and said, no, we have to take action. So Canada is coming closer and closer to seeing what other states have said uh, we've seen in the past. We have to take action now. I don't know if one or two, and again, we don't know if any were elected, um, but let's, for the sake of argument, let's say one or two or five made it in. In the entire House of Commons, that's not a significant number, so I'm not sure how much sway they might have, but is the point to create sway or is the point to have access to information that only an MP would have that you wouldn't get unless you were in a position like that? Well, more broadly, the the whole goal is to get policies in place and practices in place by the Canadian state that's favorable to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the whole question came up uh, more particularly about what about the Uyghurs? And you saw that Canada's parliament unanimously passed a resolution saying that what's being done to the Uyghurs is genocide. So that policy, if they're trying to influence Canadian policy, uh, that one has failed uh, miserably. But that does not mean that, you know, the people of, who care about Uyghurs 
or for that matter, uh, other minorities in China, uh, and, and what's happening in Hong Kong in particular, uh, the whole question of the Canadian role and what to do about uh, dealing with Hong Kong, uh, for that matter, also Taiwan, all of that is subject to foreign interference at a, in a normal fashion, but this covert and coercive united front policy reaching into various aspects of Canadian society, including the Parliament, but beyond the Parliament, all of that should raise concerns and, up, and should call for, and I believe is calling for, a more uh, active government response. What could we, and we have to run here in a second, unfortunately, yep. but what could we do about this? Because we, we have a system that says anybody can run for office. That, that's something unique with Western oh, yeah. freedoms. How do you then deal with something like this that probably was never thought of when these freedoms were created? How do you handle something like this? Yes, this, but that's a study concern. The, what do we do about freedom and, and maintaining it while at the same time dealing with threats to it? Uh, in this particular case, it has to do with putting into probably legislation or certain some practices enhanced levels of counter-security, counter-intelligence operations, the listing of people who are, have to, are forced to register as foreign agents instead of the way we have it now, apparently, where they don't have to register, they can just be foreign agents. There are legislative remedies and also procedural remedies. There's also agencies of government. We have our own counterintelligence, uh, as the U.S. does. The FBI named China as their major counterintelligence concern, major counterintelligence concern, but at the same time said that's the government of the Communist Party. It is not the people of China, and it is not the Chinese mm -hmm. diaspora overseas uh, in, inside the U.S., we do, uh, and I think the, the Prime Minister said we're working on new tools. I think he will see an enhanced level of the capacity of the Canadian state to react, but we are, we are a little slower than other states, particularly the U.S. and Australia, and having the nature of this uh, Xi Jinping's China come into focus. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science with Carleton, uh, always appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this today. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us uh, bring in our friend that we talk to every Monday here. He is uh, the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys, who I assume are getting started reasonably soon. Uh, he is the guy who runs ComChoice Realty. He is uh, 2014 Dundas Citizen of the Year, which... Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're needing to update that with, I think, 2022 is still to be determined, and he should be a candidate. The leading candidate, I would suggest. His name is Don Robertson. How are you? Hi. I'm good, Scott. How are you? You keep, you keep pounding that drum. I'll, uh, I'll, get, I'll get out there and get it sorted out. Yeah, well, you know what? It's, um, someone's got to win, and it may as well... Oh, someone's got to win, and it may as well be Don. So we'll... Um, what did I just do? Now I've locked them. Oh, there we go. You know, first day back okay. in the studio, this technology thing is uh, is tricky. Anyway, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, and by the way, again, for people calling in, just hang tight. We are going to get to you. The lines are just a little busy right now. Sorry, go ahead, Don. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Yeah, no, all is good. Okay. We're just, as I say, it's just first day back in the studio after two and a half years, and there's buttons here that I'm not used to pressing and things I can jostle with my elbows and... Yeah, it's amazing I haven't hung up on you yet. But uh, if I do, it's okay. not anything you've said. Let's just put it that way. I'll uh, get in there when I can. I uh, want to tell you, had uh, talking about the time change and a busy night, uh, Stephen and Aaron brought the grandkids over surprisingly tonight. And 
their Nana Sue's uh, whipped up a beautiful stir fry for them. So Elliot and Harriet were going to listen on their way home. So I thought I'd say hi to them if that's okay. Absolutely say hi to them. Yes, for sure. All right, Don, I have got a list here. This is, you know, some weeks it's tough to come up with things that are really interesting to talk about. This week, I've got a list that's so long, we need four hours. We don't have four hours, so we're going to blow through some of these. Um, let us start with the Ticats, who, uh, of course, uh, their season ended yesterday. Um, you know, I know people will be disappointed. I was listening in on the fifth quarter. Rick Zamper did an amazing job, as he always does, doing the fifth quarter. But truly, did they not get exactly what they deserve to get? Based well, on the season so. they had? I think so. I mean, they had a pretty good last 25% of the season, right? And I'm not sure that in the grand scheme of things, uh, that really propels you to be deserving of going to the Eastern Final. I mean, you know, they they had a tough year. And, yeah, um, yeah, they did. I go back to I mean, they had a lot of changes. They've been to the Grey Cup, but... Two or three twice, twice yeah, the, the previous two years, yep. Right, and uh, and now you know you got to sit back and start thinking about was the Claro's uh, the Claris decision the best in the world? Like he's doing all right in Winnipeg. There's been a number of them. There's been a number, but I just I say you know what this is not about dancing on the grave of the Ticats. That's not it at all. Um, but I, it's it's simply and maybe I worded it wrong off the top. But I, I just look at this and I think, you know what, um, I, I don't, I, they got what was coming, That not what was coming to them. That, again, that sounds like it's, it's, this is probably the acceptable and reasonable and fair outcome based on the year they had, is what I'm saying. I, I don't think that, you know, going to the, going to the Grey Cup would have been somehow, would have been exciting, I suppose, but I'm not sure that it would have been just is that a fair? I don't even know if that's a fair way to say it. Look, I, I if they're the only pro football team that's close to where I grew up, so I'm a Ticat fan because of that. But if you look at it, they probably didn't earn the privilege of going to the Great Cup or the Eastern Final, right? Based on your body of work all year. That's probably a very fair assessment. I, I would agree. That's a good way of saying it. All right, so since we're talking about playoffs and champions, the World Series ended the other day. And, you know, maybe I'm just getting cranky in my old age. Maybe I'm sour. I don't know what it is. I can find no joy in the Houston Astros winning because there's still five or six guys on that team that were part of the team that cheated back in 2017 and won and weren't penalized for it in any way. And until those guys are off the team and out of baseball, I cannot find any happiness in the Houston Astros winning. It's disgraceful. If nothing else, Mr. Radley, you are consistent. Um, I did not hear any uh, banging of a drum to win the World Series this time, but I concur. I think your point, Scott, consistently is that um, there was no ramifications, there was no punishment, and no taking back of rings for what they did. And baseball have to account for that, not the players that remain. But I, I get it. I mean, if you cheat to win, then 
Sometimes there's a penalty to be paid, and sometimes there's not. And I think theirs was only financial. Uh, not even to the uh, players, to the team. The team had a I mean. fine. Yeah, the team had a fine. I and the manager was gone, right? But yeah, but he found a job. You know, he, he went to the Red Sox, and he was there. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I just uh, I, I look. I, I get it. I get it. There's to me. It, it is. It is the the sacredness of sports is the cleanness of sports, and I don't even mean steroids or anything. I mean the belief that you what you're watching is fair. And I, Don, I have no, believe it or not, I have no objection to players trying to find a loophole within the game. Like I, I don't, I don't have a problem with a guy standing on second base delivering signs to the batter. I know some people freak out about that. To me, that's all part of the gamesmanship. What you can do on the field as an athlete with your own eyes or with your teammates, I've got no problem with that. The problem I had is that they were using technology that wasn't available to the other team, which gave them a huge advantage. And there was no penalty for it. And and I look at I look at what you know, I, I understand slightly different because one of them was throwing a game, but shoeless Joe Jackson affected a World Series with decisions that he made to cheat, and he was banned from baseball for life. And the Houston Astros made decisions that affected a World Series, and nothing happened. Well, Pete, Pete Rose, Pete Rose. Has to pay to get in, Pete Rose has to pay to get in the Hall of Fame. And now some of the biggest sponsors in Major League Best uh, Baseball are betting sites. Yeah, and Pete Rose. I mean, the 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 argument is that he never bet against his team. But okay, so uh, again, whether you agree or disagree, I mean, I think that the thing with Pete Rose is he didn't bet on every game. He bet on certain games, which kind of tells you that he was putting more effort into certain games to help win, and not as much into others, saving arms or whatever. Anyway. Point is, if you if you've made a decision as a as a sport that cheating is a horrible thing, and then you decide, oh, but this cheating is we're it's not that big a deal. We're not going to do anything to the players. To me, I say I, the, the the guys who were on that team, Altuve and Bregman, and those guys who were on. To me, it's I watched that and I wanted Philadelphia. I have no love of the Philadelphia Phillies. Couldn't care less. I wanted Philadelphia to beat them in three straight, and then have it such a such a colossal beatdown that Houston didn't even show up for the fourth game. Didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, Don, and then, you've got after the game is over, I start seeing on Twitter everybody going on about how oh well now Dusty Baker is a surefire the manager is a surefire Hall of Famer. Dusty Baker is going to be into the Hall of Fame. This cements his legacy as a surefire Hall of Famer. This was his first World Series. And all I can think is, wait a second. If Dusty Baker is a surefire Hall of Famer because he's won a World Series, how come I never hear anybody talking about Cito Gaston, who's won twice as many World Series as that? Yeah, Canadian team. Yeah, you know what, but the... Part of this, and, and I left this out because, you know, I, I, I wish that we could just talk about Dusty Baker or Cito Gaston as a manager as opposed to the other stuff per se. But, you know, one of the other parts was Dusty Baker, one of three African-Americans to win a World Series as manager. 
And so they do mention Cetogaston. It's not they're not aware of Cetogaston. They mention Cetogaston, Dave Roberts of the Dodgers and Dusty Baker. They do mention Cetogaston and yet they gloss over it like, well, his two World Series really were, you know, not as good somehow. I don't, I don't, I'm fine with Dusty Baker going into the Hall of Fame right after Cito Gaston does. Well, I, I, I honestly think that it's, I don't know if you, agree, I don't care if you agree, that it's got a lot to do with the, the Blue Jays winning World Series. And I'm sure there's a number of Americans who would like to put a little asterisk beside that because it wasn't an American team. Maybe. There are others who say that the reason the Blue Jays won is because their team was stacked, which is kind of the same reasoning that was given last year when Jay McKee didn't win the OHL, wasn't even nominated as coach of the year in the OHL because he had a great team. What's left out of that discussion is, well, maybe part of the reason the team seemed stacked was because they, the coach got them to play to their absolute capacity, which there's lots of good teams that don't do that. Like if you're going to say, Don, that a, and you've been a coach, if you're going to say a team that underperforms, the coach has to be fired. We're putting the blame on the coach. Well, then if a team overperforms or performs to its ability, surely you have to give equal credit to the guy behind the bench or in the dugout. So that's not how it works, right? Like two weeks ago, a week ago, uh, Sheldon Keith was going to get fired. Uh-huh. His job's pretty safe now. For today. Yeah, but you're right, yes. Right, though. So last week, it was his fault. This week, they've won two. It's got nothing to do with him. But when they lose, it's got everything to do with him. And it's like a goaltender. You know, you chose that position, so you live with what comes your way. You don't have to like it, but if you're the goalie, you can either be the star or the goat. Yep. And that's not the greatest of all time. Um, and same with coaching. So you're right. Uh, yeah, I just, as I say, it's, it's you know, it, to me, the idea, that, and again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Dusty Baker. The guy's had a long career. But at, at the end of the World Series, the, they showed this stat on, on the TV that showed the person who had gone the longest, who had managed the most games without winning a World Series. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, he was almost double number two. He was almost double number two. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. So wait a second, he's a Hall of Famer because he just managed a long time and never had a championship? I'm not sure that that is the argument you want to be making. Well, it doesn't make any sense. It means he was that bad. It took him twice as long to That's do That's my point. Now, he's and had a long the career. Truth, the truth is, truth is, you got to have the courses, right? you got to have the right team. But the reality is it took him twice as long as you looked it up. Cito? I don't know who. Well, I, th- I, can't, I, think it was, I can't remember who was number two on the list or even number three or four. But no, so, so it, it, again, it goes to my other point is that so if Cito Gaston won two World Series in – an eighth of the time managing that it took Dusty Baker to win one, does that not speak more to the 
good managing of Cito Gaston rather than to the managing of Dusty Baker? I, again, I, I don't have an objection to Dusty Baker going in the Hall of Fame. He's had a great career and he's won a World Series. That's fantastic for him. But how is it that the guy who has won twice as many never gets even a mention? I, I think your point is well taken um, about it being a Canadian team, perhaps. I think the idea, again, that he, you know, that, well, anybody could have managed that team. We've heard that before. Anyone could have managed that team. Well, if that's the case, you want to know something? Scotty Bowman should not be in the Hockey Hall of Fame because every stinking team Scotty Bowman coached, whether it was the Canadians or the Penguins or the Red Wings, was stacked to the hilt. So Scotty Bowman is nothing. I can tell you that's a load of crap. I agree. you have to be equally as good. Cito had to be equally as good to manage those egos and as, as does Scotty Bowman, like I, I know guys that played for Scotty Bowman that won a Stanley Cup, and they're not going over to his place for breakfast because they're not big fans. But they will tell you to a man, they love playing for him because he knew how to win. Yep. They didn't like how he did it sometimes, but at the end of the day, there's a chance you're going to get a cup if you play for him, and so that's backhanded respect. He's he's not interested in having him over for breakfast either. No, but but the the argument that Cito gets that well anybody could have managed those teams to a title. You're telling me that in 1975, 1976 that the Montreal Canadiens teams that Scotty Bowman had that there weren't 37 guys who could have coached those teams to a championship? Yeah. You got Guy Lafleur yeah. and Steve Shutt and Larry Robinson and Serge Savard and Ken Dryden and Guy Lapointe and Yvonne Lambert and Yvonne Cornoyer and Henri Richard and not or no yeah Henri Richard and on and on and on like you've got everybody that team was stacked to the hilt and yeah you know what I'm not taking anything away from Scotty Bowman though you still have to coach them you still have to keep them interested you still have to keep them engaged you still have to do all the right things and yet as I say. The World Series finishes, and Dusty Baker is a surefire Hall of Famer, and Cito Gaston is uh, not. Let's take a break. One one win in 40 years of managing. Good Mm. for him. Uh, I want to ask you about this story out of the Boston Bruins this week, which I'm assuming you've been following this. I know a lot of other people have. The Boston Bruins, um, they signed a kid who had been drafted by the Arizona Coyotes and then had his rights relinquished by the Coyotes because it turned out that they had discovered that he, when he was a 14-year-old, had bullied a disabled child and been did some horrible things. And so um, facing a lot of backlash, the Coyotes released him and then this week the Bruins signed him and then the Bruins took a lot of backlash and they have now released him. And I got to be honest with you, I, I, I'm, there is a big part of me that says, I get it. I understand why. And there's also a part of me to be very honest that says, I don't know that I would want to be held accountable for the rest of my life for something, even a terrible thing I did when I was 14. Where do you stand on this? I'm with you. I uh, What he did, if true, was deplorable. Um, it's not acceptable. And the part that kind of annoys me, it wasn't acceptable when he was 14, which was seven years ago. 
but it seems to be less acceptable today because I think people, not me, are moving the goalpost on acceptability. Now, what he did, and there doesn't seem to be any denying what he did, as you pointed out, when he was 14 years old, was terrible. You can't treat other people the way he allegedly treated that boy. And, uh, or, or, well, would have been a boy. I wouldn't have been a young man. You, you can't do that. But at the end of the day, do we have to be judged for the rest of our life, for eternity, on something we did when we were 14 or 15 years old? As deplorable as it may have been, is that the standard that now we're judged by? So I don't know. Um, I don't know if he should be permitted to play in the National Hockey League. The National Hockey League seems to have deemed him uh, unwanted. But I'm with you. Uh, what he did was terrible. Is uh, that a price you pay for the rest of your entire life? And does it take away an opportunity for you to make a living? I don't know how, and I don't know the whole story, Scott. I only know what's been reported in uh, the papers. Well, here's what, the Associated, here's what the Associated Press wrote about it, and I'm just choosing one paragraph which outlines it. Miller pleaded guilty at 14, it says, to one count of assault and one count of violation of the Ohio Safe Schools Act. He and another teenager were accused of making the kid eat a candy push pop after wiping it in a bathroom urinal, and surveillance video showed them kicking and punching him. So there is nothing, um, nothing acceptable. There is nothing... Decent, there's nothing good about this. And yet, again, I, I, and and by the, the other part of this that, uh, you know, I I recognize is a contributing factor is there's question about whether or not he has ever apologized that apparently he's never reached out to the kid or his family, which, uh, you know, should have happened unquestionably. If that has, if that hasn't happened, uh, to this point then you know what, at 14, you should, maybe you should, you shouldn't know better. I would think you should know better. But at 20, 18, 19, 20, you sure should know better by then. And that probably would have been the appropriate action. Here's the interesting part that I read and read into this over the weekend because it unfolds. And Gary Bettman certainly did a smackdown on the Boston Bruins, as did the Boston Bruin players on their own team for doing it. Right? Like the they were in Toronto and their comments were like, we don't need this. And so the Bruins uh, got rid of them a little late, probably never should have signed them. But here's what I wonder. I mean, if this is what the standard is in the National Hockey League, based on some recent events at uh, hockey events, the groundwork is being laid. This is not going to be tolerated at any level, your conduct as a youth, if you wanted the privilege of playing in the National Hockey League. Well, I think yeah. The big, the, big, the big story is on its way. Well, Don, here, here is what came to mind when I first heard this. And, and there was a guy who played in the NHL for a lot of years 
who spent a year in jail for vehicular homicide after he was drinking. And when he got out of prison, he was allowed to play for a lot of years and then coach in the NHL for a lot of years. And now he did speak to the family of the victim apparently and, and apologize to them. So maybe the apology is the only thing here. Although again, I'm looking, going, I'm not excusing the behavior in any way. But if we say that vehicular homicide, you can come back and play when someone died, it really does mean the goalposts have moved an awful lot. If this one means you can never play in the league. And I, and I, I, it, it seems like it's a, it seems like it's a bit of a moving target. Well, without question. And I know who you're talking about. If you're not mentioning his name, I'm not going to go out and do it either. But, um, that was a three decades ago and uh, the guy that signed him was notorious for giving guys a second chance but I but I really do believe and I was curious about it at that time I saw that and I go thinking, ah, I'm not sure this is right but you know I, I didn't do a deep dive into all the circumstances but that's how much things have changed Scott you can go from that point and then coaching being a GM and winning and, and just having a career in the game after an incident like that compared to now when you're 14 years old and you show poor judgment, again, I, I continue the poor judgment factor if he hasn't reached out at this point and apologized to him. And you know what? It's too, it's too late now. You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. But that's what three decades have done to us. And I shouldn't say done to us, but those are the changes that have made, been made in society. I mean, there is no room for error anywhere. And I'm glad there was no uh, cell phones back when I was that age. It's, yeah, I mean, look... The part about this story that makes me have trouble with it without, and once again, just so we're clear here, without excusing the behavior, what he did, what, what, it, what all the allegations and on the, everything that we know about this, the, it's, it's, it's horrible. Uh, and no one's arguing otherwise. The only part of this that makes me, mm, uh, just a little uneasy about this is that we're talking about a kid who did something when he was 14. This is not someone who did something when he's 18 or 20 or 25. And truly, Don, I, I like, I'm, I'm not suggesting every 14 year old did something like this. They didn't. But when we were 11 or 12 or 13 or 14, I would bet you that we all did something pretty stupid that we really are thankful nobody knows about. That we'd really be horrified if something stupid we did at that age ever became public and was, was determined to be indicative of our character as a human being today. I I agree that he should have apologized, but boy, that 14 part just always catches me here. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's, that's a kid. It's not a young man or barely a young man. And to be judged for the rest of your life is 
But that's, again, that's where it's been driven. I'm not sure it's right. I'm not sure he can't be rehabilitated. I don't know if he's done anything to do that. But I can tell you this, clearly, the hockey world, until he signed in the National Hockey League, overlooked it. Or he wouldn't have been continued to play in elite situations where he could get drafted. And here's the thing that I, <laughs> I'd have to dig in a little deeper. Isn't that interesting that the uh, Arizona Coyotes actually did what seems to be, to some, the right thing? When they found out, they said, no, no, this doesn't work for us. Interesting. But you're right. He was 14. And is there a time frame? But he must have played junior. He must have played high school. Lots of people gave him a pass on it. Lots of people. Yeah. It, it, I, anyway, I'll, we'll leave it there. But I just, uh, I, I don't want to sound like I'm excusing it or we're excusing it because we're not excusing it. It's It's the... If he had been an adult, if he had been of the age where he was, where we would expect that even 16, I would start to say, okay, you're in junior hockey now. We expect more. Uh, maybe, and, and you know what? I, I, I'm sitting here saying maybe I'm missing a part of this that someone could add to it that would explain why this would be held so unrelentingly as a 14 year old. And maybe it's just the lack of an apology. Maybe that's, maybe that's the whole story here. That's the, I mean, I hate to think Don, that that's the lesson. Go ahead and do anything you want as long as you apologize. But no, that's not the lesson at all. I don't think that there's a, there's a lot of things that have happened in junior hockey on the way to the national hockey league that if Gary Bettman had to sit down and assess every one of them, there's a pretty good chance the face of the National Hockey League and who's playing it would be dramatically different. Well, Did I mention last week, I don't remember, did I mention Justin Davis's book? Yes, yes. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you read it. I think you'd enjoy it. Read that book and tell me what you think of the old junior hockey and the ways they were. Well, let me. There'll be a lot of guys not playing the league. Let me throw one more thing before we go to a break here. If anybody in the NHL, and I know that a number of the players have spoken out about this too, and again, I'm not criticizing or questioning their belief that this guy should not be playing, but if anybody in the NHL who has taken a position that he should not be playing has ever watched a Mike Tyson fight post his jail time, it would seem a little hypocritical because Mike Tyson has never apologized for being convicted of raping that woman. I can't remember her name. And so if you're okay with Mike Tyson not apologizing and getting out of jail for rape, and then you're okay watching him fight, I don't know how you can take a hardline stance here and say, but this one, we really can't stand for this. I mean, if you never, if you, if you took a solid stand and said, I will not watch Mike Tyson now because of what he did, that is outrageous to me. And I cannot support him in any way, shape or form. Even if it's only, if he comes on TV, I'm flipping the channel. But if you've, if you've gotten enjoyment out of watching Mike Tyson fight since jail, well, how do you, how have you done that? How do you watch the NFL? There's guys there. Yeah. There's sure. There's 
in, in any sport, in all of the sports, in all of the sports, there are people who have done terrible things, who have been convicted of crimes. And welcome back. And welcome back. This one, I'm just, I, I'm, this one has just got me a little bit uneasy because the, the action happened when he was a kid. And yet there is a firm, widespread belief, clearly, that there can be no forgiveness for this. And again, maybe it's entirely the fact that he has not asked for forgiveness. And okay, okay. But once again, I would say, but that means then that any other athlete who has been convicted of something, who's done something and has not asked for forgiveness should not also be playing. Don't, don't underestimate the fact that a portion of this may be, in fact, because the Bruins didn't ask for the blessing or have a yes. conversation with the National Hockey League before they did it or the family of the of the kid who was the victim here yeah. I, I get I get there uh, are I get there are parts of this Don I, I get that I do I get that it just is it's an interesting one anyway we gotta take a break he was 14 you're right there's no, that, that's there's that's no the answer. part yeah that's 14. the part that makes it tricky Don you are uh, you have been in your life you have been an official a hockey official maybe officiating other things as well I'm not sure let me ask you this do you believe that certain teams, not because there's any kind of conspiracy or leagues are instructing officials to treat different teams differently, but do you believe that different teams, for whatever reason, get called differently than other teams in various sports? Do you believe there are teams that, for whatever reason, seem to benefit from officiating and some that don't? Yes. Tell you why I ask, because I have now watched, I'm not a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, but I've watched a bunch of games that they've been on TV in the last couple of years, and as I'm watching, I'm seeing what looks to me, and I'm not an official, but as an average fan, infraction at holding, and this and that and the other, and and yesterday in one play, um, what's the name, Kelsey, the tight end, ripped another player's helmet off, and the other player got called for a penalty, and I'm looking going, how come Kansas City seems to always get the calls? And I'm, and I'm not suggesting the league has a conspiracy to put them through or anything. I just, I wonder if there's something about the coach or about the color of the uniform or about intimidation in their stadium or whatever that makes officials see the game a little bit differently for certain teams, unconsciously. I hate to tell you a trade secret, but... Uh when we're coaching the McCoys, and I've refereed in that league, and I've refereed, you know, at Junior A and right up and down, I learned from there that the more respect you show for the officials and understanding, you don't have to be compassionate to them, but rather than walk, walk skate by a guy and mention where you think he should um, perhaps place his whistle, <laughs> Rather, to maybe just kind of swing by and say, you know, I don't think you had a very good look at that. And uh, we try and instill that in our players. And I know as an official, what if I was doing a junior B game in Caledonia or whatever I was doing, if I made a mistake and they didn't decide that they were going to throw me in the uh, Grand River after the game, 
I got thinking, okay, these guys get it. So, I mean, I'm not saying that you would give anybody the benefit of the doubt, but it sure is when you, as an official, if you treat the officials with the respect they deserve, that's never a bad thing. Now, I didn't see the play where the guy's helmet comes off and he gets the penalty, but uh, you, I, I am here to tell you as a former official, it is a lot easier to be nice to people that are nice to you than the people that constantly tell you that you've got your skates on the wrong feet. Mm. I mean, look, and again, I want to say, I, I don't believe that officials get instruction from leagues and the league says, make sure that this team gets through. I don't, I, I just don't believe that. But it does seem at times like certain teams just find favor with officials subconsciously or for whatever other reason. And I, and I, and that was one of them. It just, Kansas City, for whatever reason, no matter who they're playing, and I had no dog in the fight yesterday with them in Tennessee. No, no, couldn't care less. Yep. I just kept seeing these I, things that I, they were missing, and I'm like, how come every other team gets called for that and they don't? See, at, at, at my age, because I'm obviously done refereeing, I can tell you how I think it. I can tell you how it probably worked with me unconsciously, but looking back, is that if Scott Radley and I were friends or you showed me tremendous respect and had your players respect me, so that was a pretty young guy refereeing at a high level, right? I don't think I'd ever give you a call, but I might give your guys a little more latitude. Mm-hmm. And that's the, about as far as it would go. Like, you're never going to invent one for them. You're never going to screw the other team. But... You're a human. A hook you're a human. might not be a real big hook if you understand what I'm telling you. Yeah, you're, you're a and human being, and you, you, get, you have relationships, and that's going to affect you. I mean, naturally, that's going to. It's, you can't, no, nobody can well, purely put that aside, 100%. It's going, to, it's going to have an impact, for sure it will. Anyway. Well, I was refereeing a Junior B semifinals in Ontario to, as a 21-year-old, so I went up pretty quick, and I didn't have those. But as I went on, I'm not going to deny that there were guys that were far more respectful to me than others and I never invented a call but probably mm. I don't know Radley didn't really hook him as the guy spun into the corner Don we got to run we are uh, over time but always appreciate the time Don Robertson thanks for doing this thanks Scott talk to you again bye bye the Scott Radley show weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML the Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.